We've been studying for the last two weeks. This is the third week in a four-part series of why we are here, what the church is all about. We have determined that the primary purpose of being here is to worship the Lord our God. You've done that so beautifully this morning. Then we talked about the fellowship that we have one with another, all a part of one body. And we're going to talk this morning about discipleship. So, first of all, to know what discipleship is, a disciple is a personal follower of a person or idea. The Webster's Dictionary, the old standard, says it's one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. The Greek word for disciple, mathetes, translates as student or apprentice, but not just any student. I was a student for many years, but I was not a disciple all of those years, I assure you. Strong's Concordance expands on the definition of student by saying we're talking about someone who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle that they require. And that authority that so many of you are going to go to anyway, Wikipedia. I knew somebody was going to go there. Says, it's not the same thing as being a student in the modern sense. A disciple in the ancient biblical world actively imitated both the life and the teaching of the master. It was a deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple into a living copy of the master. So what does the Bible have to say on the subject? What does it say about discipleship? Are we expected to be disciples in the sense of actually trying to be living copies of Jesus? Or is that just kind of graduate level stuff? In other words, can most of us just attend church and be supportive, or is the bar really that high? Well, let's look at just a couple of words of Scripture. Matthew 28, 19, I know you're familiar with, says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And John chapter 13 a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Clearly, Jesus intended for his followers to not only be disciples, but to act like disciples 
and to make disciples. It's not an option. It's an expectation. And that's the reason why we need to make sure we understand what discipleship is, what it's all about, and what the Bible says we should be doing with this idea. I'm going to frame exploring this subject of discipleship this morning by exploring eight truths of discipleship. Truth number one. God never intended for there to be two levels of Christianity in the church. He never intended for there to be disciples with a capital D and other disciples with a small d. Let that sink in. There is nowhere in scripture that we have any hint that we should be able to choose between being just regular Christians or discipled Christians. The Bible never mentions a Christian underclass made up of people who think Christianity is a good idea, who accept that Jesus' teachings are true, who've been baptized, who declare themselves to be believers, but who have neither the dedication nor the inclination to be living copies of Jesus. We behave, though, as though that were exactly the case. In many churches, perhaps even in most, there are those who watch and listen and nod their heads but remain in the background because that's just not my personality to get involved. That's just not who I am. We need to be very clear this morning that Jesus never offered that as an option. He said, in fact, that being his disciple is such a priority that it takes precedence over everything else, even family. That's what he was talking about. That's what he meant in Luke 14 when he said that no one who did not hate their mother or father or brother or sister could be his disciple. He wasn't encouraging you to be hostile toward your family, but he was encouraging you to set your priorities correctly. That being a disciple is number one. Now, we're all going to look differently as disciples. We're not going to be carbon copies of one another. We're each unique, and we're each uniquely gifted. But if Jesus were standing before us today, he would say, choose your side. He left us with no middle ground. He never intended to. Being a disciple means counting the cost and making a choice. Truth number two, we're going to have to talk about discipleship and evangelism as if they were one subject, because they are. Discipleship requires that we become imitators of Christ, that we, as we read, make disciples of all nations. That's a direct instruction. So we know that part of living the lifestyle of a disciple is sharing the gospel with others. 
and then helping them in turn to become devoted Christ followers themselves. It's when we start throwing around the word evangelism or evangelist that people get a little nervous because when we think of evangelism, you think of someone who is standing up behind a pulpit preaching before a crowd, right? Am I right? At least I do. And so there's a fear factor there. That we think evangelism is beyond us. It's just something that we can't do. But evangelism is a lot more than just public preaching. Properly understood, it is something that every church layman can and should be doing. Evangelism at its heart is telling your story. Telling someone what Jesus Christ has done for you and how he's changed your life, that's evangelism. And it's part of discipleship. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite theologians of the past, said this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, everything else is simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now, I know that flies in the face of conventional wisdom. We're told that following a religious leader or a moral principle is acceptable and honorable as long as we don't bother other people or insist that our beliefs are any more true or apt to be correct than anyone else's, or allow our beliefs to interfere with anybody else's lifestyle choices. But when we do those things, the world says we've crossed the line. I want you to think about something. Jesus' last instruction before he ascended into heaven, after his resurrection, was to go make disciples which is evangelism. Now, here, here's, here's what I want you to dwell on for a moment. Think of the last time that you left the house and you left someone there, husbands, you left your wife there, parents, you left your kids there. What was the last thing that you told them knowing that you were going to be gone for a while? Don't forget to feed the dog. Remember, this check has to go to the landlord. Don't forget to turn the oven off. Whatever it was, it was important to you, right? The last words that you were going to speak to someone before being absent for a period of time would be something important. What did Jesus say? He's leaving us for a while. And his last words are, make disciples. Being a disciple means evangelism. It means sharing the story. And discipling, being a disciple 
is something for every one of us. If you're a Christian, you should be a disciple. If you're a Christian, you should be striving to become a carbon copy of Christ. And that means discipleship. It means telling your story. Truth number three. In a church where few members commit themselves to being disciples, there will be very few leaders and not much spiritual depth. There's an unbreakable link between discipleship and leadership development in the church. Without leaders who are already modeling a commitment to discipleship, it's difficult to find lay people that are focused on it or who have any real interest. But on the other hand, when there are very few lay people focused on discipleship, there are few leaders because the leadership pool is so shallow. So what's the solution? Well, we can hope we get lucky and somebody who is a good Christian leader moves into our neighborhood and joins the church. But that's a pretty unreliable, not to mention irresponsible approach. A better approach is what, uh, what we call at work the leadership pipeline. That means that we get very intentional about leadership development, identifying people who have the gifts we're going to need in the future and investing time, energy, and resources in them now. No church, however rich its history or how well-intentioned, can succeed in its mission as a New Testament church without committed leaders. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 in action. Go ahead and turn there. In my Sunday school class this morning, we're, we're talking about how to study the Bible, and I, I encouraged folks to paraphrase the verse that they're studying because if you don't quite get it, it's very hard to paraphrase it. It'll force you into digging for some meaning there. And so I want to paraphrase for you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And I'm paraphrasing it so you'll see a principle very clearly there. Okay, this is Mike's paraphrase. He gave, he himself gave some to be specially equipped leaders in the church so that they, in turn, could equip the lay people of the church to do the work of the ministry. Beginning today to identify and equip lay leaders for the work of the church is not a quick fix. We need more leaders. You know how many groups you can have? You know how many small groups we can have? However many leaders of small groups we have. You know how many Sunday school teachers we can have in this, how many Sunday school classes we can have in this church? however many Sunday school teachers we have in this church. It's dependent on having those leaders. And it's not just a quick fix as we grow into leadership positions. 
there, there's an old proverb that says this. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. If we want leaders in this church who can help us to grow those disciples, we should have started 20 years ago. If there's anything that we should have done and haven't, we ought to be starting today. By the way, while committing to being a disciple always means sharing the gospel, the act of doing so is transformative to the person doing the sharing. And I'm going to touch on that again in a moment or two. How does a leader grow another leader? John Maxwell says the key to leadership development is asking current leaders to make one simple commitment. Never do any ministry-related activity alone. Whatever you're doing, take somebody with you so they can learn to do it too. I've had the real pleasure of training some leaders in the workplace and one of the things that I take the most pleasure in is watching them now do things to a higher standard that I can ever reach. I've spent time with them and I've learned to trust them and I've taught them some things and they've taught me some things and when I'm gone they'll still be around teaching if I can say discipling the next generation of leaders. You don't have to be out front leading the band to be a leader, although somebody needs to be out front in the band. But we desperately need discipled leaders who will step forward and lead a small group or teach a Sunday school class, facilitate a prayer group, or serve as a deacon or elder or get deaconess or volunteer to help on a ministry team. We need that. I remember very clearly as a, a little kid, and I'm not sure how old I was. I think I might have been eight or ten years old. And we had a pastor whose name was Bob Moreland, and he was a, he was a short guy, and he would stand behind the pulpit and stand up on his toes and lean forward and talk. And I remember him pointing that finger and I knew he was pointing exactly at me one morning I can't tell you what the morning was but I remember it with great clarity when he said God is looking for a man to stand in the hedge and make up the gap what he was doing is he was sending out a call for Christian leaders and at that young age I remember hearing God's voice deep in my spirit and saying, yes, Lord, if you'll help me, I want to be that guy. He's saying the same thing to somebody in this room this morning. I don't have any doubt about it. And deep in your heart, you're saying, with God's help, I want to be that person. Truth number four. The act of making disciples is an essential part of becoming a disciple. 
Discipleship is about modeling Christianity, not just messaging Christianity. No one learns more from a lesson than the teacher who teaches it, but it's also true that no one experiences more of what it means to be a disciple than the person who's trying to teach discipleship to somebody else. That's why anywhere you see people making a commitment to act like a disciple, you see growth and you see lives being transformed. Each part feeds the other. Transformative discipleship leads to sharing and sharing leads to transformative discipleship. The more the more that I share with you, the more that I learn. I've never learned any more about the purpose of the church than I have this last month or two as I've studied for these messages. As I share, I grow. And as you share, you will grow. You want to be a disciple? You want to grow as a disciple? Teach someone else. Share what you already know. You'll be amazed. Truth number five. Growing as a disciple requires a particular worldview. Viewing the world through a Christian lens. What do I mean by worldview? We've talked about it before, but let's review. It's simply this. A growing, committed disciple looks at questions like, Who are we? Why are we here? And what is wrong with the world? And what is the solution? And examines those questions through the lens of Christ's teaching and the Bible as a whole. Being a disciple doesn't mean that you have to be a science denier. It doesn't mean you can't learn anything from other people. It doesn't even mean you can't learn anything from people who aren't Christians. But it does mean holding every idea that you encounter up to the word of God and judging its merit by God's standards, not the world's. Let me just say a personal word to you five who were on this stage just a few minutes ago. You're going to be confronted with a lot of different worldviews, with people who look at those important questions of life differently. And you need to look at everything you encounter through the lens of God's word. A natural result of a worldview that says every idea has to be judged by God's word is to study the word. After all, if you don't study it, if you don't read it, you don't know what it says, right? Makes sense. We acknowledged at the beginning of this message that the Great Commission commands us to go into every nation and to make disciples. But there's a second half to that. If we read that entire verse, it also says this teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. 
So if we're going to be disciples, we have to make disciples. And that means we have to teach others what we have learned in the scripture. Your elders are looking closely at the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist teaching material, which we've used in this church for decades, by the way, advocates a simple formula for discipleship through studying of the word. I'm not going to go deeply into it, but I want to read it to you just really briefly because it's good stuff. They advocate a simple five-step approach to the word of God. Read it daily, understand it well, preach and teach it accurately, obey it carefully, trust it completely. I'm going to read those again. I saw a couple of people trying to write those down. Read it daily, understand it well. Preach and teach it accurately. Obey it carefully. And trust it completely. Truth number six. Making disciples is a relational task and is made possible by true fellowship. By fellowship as we discussed last week. It starts with leaders who model. Mark chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 demonstrates Jesus had a method of discipleship. And it spells it out very clearly, but it's easy to miss. So listen closely because this very short passage of scripture describes a powerful, effective method for discipleship. Here it is. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out. How did Jesus do it? Two-step process. He chose disciples to be with him and then he sent them out. One pastor I read described this as relational Discipleship, kind of a catchy phrase. Relational discipleship is speaking biblical truth in the context of caring about people. It isn't just hanging out. Many of our casual relationships, if we're honest, are not very influential. They're rather shallow Relational discipleship is about investing in people's lives in a very intentional way, spending time with people, listening to their ideas, and then teaching and ministering and training. Sharing God's truth doesn't have to be contrived or forced, and it doesn't require you to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, and it doesn't require that you be able to stand up behind a pulpit in front of a bunch of people. Some of the deepest conversations I've had about God's Word have been in a boat with my fishing buddies. 
hey, when the fish aren't biting, you've got to talk about something, right? And lots of times the fish aren't biting. Oh, I, I just want to say, I just want to make a note. When Jesus and the men he chose as disciples spent time together, they fished. There's no other sport mentioned. It's, it's, just, it's just fishing. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. Relational discipleship means at least four things. It means being intentional about forming your relationships. Now, you can do that through the life groups that we have in this church. That's a wonderful way to do that. It means making a commitment to those relationships. And that takes an effort. It means embracing the downs as well as the ups in the relationships that you form. The people that you form relationships with are a work in progress just like you and me. And this last one may seem obvious, but it means spending time with people. I challenge you this morning to be intentional about doing that. Again, I'm going to say this over and over again. The best way for you to become a disciple is to make disciples. The best way for you to grow as a Christian is to share your faith, share your story with other people. And as you share that, you'll find your own life being richer and richer. Number seven. Truth number seven. True discipleship is something that you do. It's not just something that you think about. Endorsing Jesus' teachings or learning to live morally or giving intellectual assent isn't enough. It's something that you do. Statistically, do you know who leaves the church at the highest rate? And I'm not talking about leaves this church to attend another church. I'm talking about somebody who just leaves the church entirely. Undiscipled Christians. And what I mean when I say undiscipled is Christians who have heard the truth but never thought about it as something that applied to them more than just intellectually. So they weren't equipped to defend the truth in their own mind when they're presented with a lie. And as soon as somebody says, your Christianity is not valid, they haven't been discipled and they haven't studied the word and they haven't grown, so they have no ammunition. They have no defense. And so they fall away. It makes sense, doesn't it? Teaching what the scriptures say and then teaching what the scriptures have to say about how we live our lives and then modeling Christianity. When we do those things, we see people become more secure and more grounded. In a 2014 article of, that was printed in Christianity Today, they did a survey and they asked people what kept them in church. They were reaching out to the people who didn't fall away, those 
who, who came to church as a child and continued through their adolescence and right up into adulthood, and they said, what made the difference for you? Why did you stay when others didn't stay? And they said it correlated strongly with how they answered three questions. And if they were able to answer these three questions in the affirmative, they were stayers. Question number one, do you consider your pastor's sermons to be relevant to your life? Question number two, do you use what you learn in church to guide the decisions that you make in your life? And number three, is there at least one person in the church that has made an investment in you personally and spiritually? If those three things are happening, you've got somebody that's going to stay. We need to be honest with ourselves and about ourselves acknowledging our doubts, but being authentic learners in the word. When I was a teenager, Bob McGuire was the pastor of this church, and there was a saying of his. He used to say, what we live is what we believe. The rest is just religious chatter. It seems obvious, but we need to model our lives after the one we're trying to imitate. Is that redundant to say that that way? We need to model after the one that we're imitating? If it is, I guess I'm the chairman of the Department of Redundancy Department. But it's true. Whether I'm saying it correctly or not, being a disciple means studying Jesus' life and trying to become a living copy. That's what discipleship is all about. And finally, truth number eight. And this is just as important as any of the rest of them. The weakest faith can grow the strongest disciple. There are people who feel discouraged and just feel like that's great for somebody else, but it, it's just not in me. I've been talking about discipleship in a way that makes the bar seem pretty high. And in a sense it is, but that's not meant to be discouraging. Jesus spoke about the faith the size of a very tiny mustard seed being sufficient when it is applied. It's not the size of your faith, it's whether it is applied do you use the faith that you have? Jesus never scorned people for their weakness. He only criticized religious folks who were dishonest with themselves and claimed to be something they were not. Isaiah chapter 42 spoke prophetically about Jesus' nature long before he ever walked on this earth. And Isaiah said, a bruised reed he will not break. 
He came in gentleness. Are you weak this morning? Then be weak. But be genuine in your commitment to grow, to be a disciple. You won't stay weak. What makes us weak? Relationships that influence us away from God. Self-deceit, rationalizing our behavior. Not spending time in the word not spending time in prayer, seeing discipleship as something we can do in our own strength. What makes us strong? Just the opposite. Forming relationships with people who will strengthen our faith rather than tear it down. Refusing to rationalize our behavior. The Bible calls that looking into the mirror of God's word and seeing what's really there. Spending time in the word and in prayer and recognizing that growing as a disciple in Christ is a spiritual task that requires spiritual power and depending on the Holy Spirit. Psalm 17.1 as we close this morning, contains this reminder. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. When's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Second best time today what's the best time to become a disciple the day you were born again what's the second best time to become a committed disciple today I'm going to ask that the instruments play that we have a time of invitation and I particularly want to invite you if there's something about what I've said that seems appealing to you, but all this Christian stuff seems a bit mysterious, and you'd like to become a Christian. I want to pray with you and show you how you can do that. If you're not from here or you've been attending, but you've not become a member of the church, I want to give you an opportunity to join the church. We're a family, and it's a pretty good family to belong to. I also want to give you the opportunity to just pray. And if you need to be reconciled to someone that you've had a committed relationship with, then I want you to just leave your seat and go to them and make that right. Let's stand together.